I am Mark, the New Brunswick Traveler, and here we talk about New Brunswick stuff. On this podcast, I'll be talking about some of those natural wonders, be talking about some of the people that live in New Brunswick, past visitors that have come to New Brunswick, and maybe even some ghosts that I find along the way. So for now, let's get started. Thank you for joining me today. This morning I'm drinking the Foghorn Dark Roast Blend from Java Moose Coffee. It is available throughout the Maritimes, and I see that their shop on Clark Road in Rossay is listed in the New Brunswick Cafe Passport. This cup of coffee was provided by a fan that went to my website at mbtraveler.com and selected the Buy Me a Coffee tab. I always appreciate that support. Did you know that men from New Brunswick fought in the American Civil War? I certainly didn't. That is, until I saw that the New Brunswick Historical Society is raising money to purchase a sword that a medical officer from St. Andrews had used when he served with the Union Army. I did an interview with the president of the Historical Society to get the rest of the story. Here it comes. I'm here today with Greg Marquis, who's the uh, president of New Brunswick Historical Society. And one of the things I'm really interested in, Greg, we're going to get into talking about this sword that the society is in the process of purchasing. But I was surprised to learn that something between 35,000 and 50,000 individuals from what is now known as Canada fought in the American Civil War, mostly on the side of the Union. And so this story that we're talking about today is particularly interesting to me simply because I'm an American to begin with, been in Canada 21 years, but I didn't realize how much interest there was here with regard to what was happening in the American Civil War. So why is the story of Dr. John Stevens important? Well, I think it's important for the very issue you've raised that so many men were involved in this supposedly foreign war, but it wasn't really that foreign to many people living in the British colonies. Now, Stevenson was a bit more of an exception because he crossed the border after the war started to enlist, whereas many of the Canadian men who joined Union regiments, for the most part, were already living down in the States, right? Working and that type of thing. And he represents the medical history, which is also interesting. And we certainly know that there's hundreds of men from New Brunswick who served and but obviously a smaller number of doctors. So I think the other interesting thing about Stevenson is that he was a surgeon for one of the so-called they call it's, it's dated language now, but they were called colored troops. And that, those are all black infantry regiments, except for the officers and the uh, Connecticut regiment. I think it was the 29th, about a thousand or 1200 men, mainly from Connecticut, New England, who were African-American who volunteered to preserve the union. And so he served with that unit and they served in Virginia and later they went to Texas and that's where he became ill. So why is a sword important? Well, 
my understanding, and some of our Civil War reenactor people might have more accurate information, I don't think we have any personal dress swords, because this is not a combat sword. This was the ceremonial or dress sword that even medical officers had to have as part of their kit. I don't think we have any of them on display in Atlantic Canada. I could be wrong. So this would be a first, and I think it would be a very important symbol of that uh, participation because we don't have a lot of uniforms and artifacts and weapons and, and things like that, the, you know, the physical aspect of the, the service of these men. And so I think it would be important to have this to help remember that time of history and also to help remember Dr. Stevens, who, Stevenson, who was from St. Andrews, New Brunswick. And, he, and after he passed away, he was buried there. So are you aware of other individuals from New Brunswick that uh, served with the Union troops? Yeah, well, I can't start naming a lot off the top of my head. Actually, Troy Middleton, who's on our board, and we have another board member as well, might know individual stories. But, you know, the 20th Maine reenactors, there's a, a group, part of that reenactment unit is based in New Brunswick. They've been trying to identify, find the biographies and find the graves. You know, if you remember the, the movie Glory, Denzel Washington and Matthew Broderick from the 90s or whatever, it's about the 54th Massachusetts volunteers. They were an all-black regiment except for the officers. And they tried to storm Fort Wagner in Charleston Harbor. And anyway, it turned into a bloodbath, but they were actually black men from New Brunswick who served in that unit, the 54th Massachusetts. And they also served in the U.S. Navy. So yeah, there's people buried in Fernhill Cemetery, you know, who served in the war. At least one served for the Confederacy, but most served for the Union. So trying to get the sword, what's the process and how can people assist with that? Well, from what I understand, the collector in Ontario is sort of holding it for us, which is nice because I think he believes that it should stay in Canada and... We agree. <laughs> and so we have a GoFundMe trying to raise 3000 on that uh, page. Uh, we can also take donations. We're, we're going to need more like six or 7,000 when it's all said and done, because we need the, the cost, the, the cost is more than three. We need trans, we need transportation costs. We need to, uh, get a secure display case and that type of thing. Once we have it at our museum. And by the way, if we do get the sword, the New Brunswick Historical Society would make it available to other museums to display in New Brunswick. That's the spirit of this whole exercise. So we could also take donations to the New Brunswick Historical Society, Chuck Cash, that type of thing. We're, we're going to try to get set up for e-transfers this week. And also Canada Helps will also get you. It's under the New Brunswick Historical Society and Canada Helps, which is a very useful website for making charitable donations. And they will send you, if you donate to New Brunswick Historical Society via Canada Helps, which is a website, they will send you a tax receipt. And we can send you a tax receipt for direct donations to the Historical Society as well. I can leave you our email. If not, you can simply search for us under New Brunswick Historical Society. We have a, a website and plus we're on Facebook. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes. Thanks. You mentioned the Historical Society in uh, different uh, connections there. What 
would individuals be most interested in with regard to what you do and what's done with the uh, historical society? Well, right now, through the run of a year, we cover two main areas. Seasonally, we run Loyola's house, which is a house museum. It's the oldest wooden building in St. John and survived the great buyer and so forth. That's mainly open sort of summer into the fall. And that was built by New York Loyalists, finished in 1817. And it represents sort of a middle-class to upper middle-class residence that survived all those years in St. John. The other thing we do, we sponsor talks in the community and other events. So we have six or seven public talks a year. We're going to have our first one on January 28th, Gary Hughes, formerly the New Brunswick Museum. He's speaking on an aspect of the War of so commemoration of the War of 1812. So we, we try to promote those events online and by media and that type of thing. And we're involved in other events through the year as well. We're going to be co-sponsoring a heritage fair, for example, in February. And we hope to get involved in some other things in the summer. So yeah, the, the two main things would be running Loyalist House as a museum and then sponsoring talks and events in the community. And Loyalist House uh, should be opening up probably by May. Well, we can make it available if people contact us, but we, we have a, a somewhat short season. We find that it doesn't really get going for us until late June, early July. So run, normally we, we, we sort of focus late June into uh, the fall and with the cruise ship seasons, season, we try to stay as open as long as possible. But if people really want to get in there and uh, it's warm enough and the coast is clear, you could certainly contact us. And if we can find enough volunteers, we could certainly get people in there earlier in the season. I'll make sure that I put information in the show notes about the January 28th event. Yeah, I can send you the details. Yeah. And we'll be back uh, later on in the year to talk to somebody from the Historical Society, particularly about the Loyalist House and the significance of the Loyalist in the community. Right. Thank you so much for your time, Greg, and you have a fantastic day. Thanks for doing this. Three things coming up that talk about some of the history of New Brunswick. Uh, Greg mentioned the first one in my interview with him on Sunday, January 28th at the St. John Public Library. There is a program from 1 to 2.30 in the afternoon, which is about the 104th Regiment and the impact that they had on both the social and cultural history in St. John, especially among the working class. And then on February 7th, uh, back at the library again, uh, Don LeBlanc is going to be talking about the impact of uh, Fort Latour and the history of Fort Latour. And then on February 17th at Trinity Church on Charlotte Street, there's going to be a Heritage Fair from 10 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. All of this information and links will be on the show notes. It's been a real joy talking to you today, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening, and go and give a comment, give a rating, and help me to make this even a better podcast.